Good morning, I'm Joe Vachika, and thanks for joining us on Coffee with Joe. Uh, today we're having our coffee with the Democratic candidate for the Arizona LD1 House, Judy Stahl. Hi Judy, how are you today? I'm well Joe, how are you? I'm doing well, thanks for asking. So Judy, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, let me just first say that I feel a little nervous being here, so I feel like I'm smiling and I can't make it stop. <laughs> uh, but I'll get over that and get into talking, which is something that I'm good at. Um, I am a 28-year, going on 28-year Prescott resident. Um, I raised my children here. I have run a business here. It was called the Prescott Center for Massage Therapy for many years. Now I'm doing education and consulting with massage therapists throughout the country. Um, and I have volunteered here uh, over many years. I've been involved in a lot of different organizations that we have in Prescott and usually always having to do with things that uh, will help the community, will help children, um, and will just promote Prescott for the beautiful, heartfelt community that it is. Um, I was born in Chicago and lived in the suburbs there with my family until I was five and we moved to New York. Uh, my father was a chemical engineer, my mother was a housewife. and wow. um, Then I grew up in the suburbs of New York and when I was in high school, my dad got a chance to go into business for himself, so we moved back to the Midwest, where my parents were from, and uh, where, of course, I was born and my relatives were. And I went to three different high schools. So I went to high school in New York, I went to high school in Michigan, and I went to high school in Illinois. Um, I've lived both in suburbia and I've lived in uh, extremely rural America, and I learned a whole lot uh, between the ages of 14 when I moved to uh, Michigan, away from everything that I really had known, uh, to when I started college at age 16. Uh, and I, I learned a lot about people and um, how we work and how the dynamics uh, are with people and that, you know, uh, the outward appearance can look real razzle-dazzle, but inside people can still be concerned and do people like me or not? And um, so I had to learn about that at a tender age and um, had to kind of learn how to, uh, you know, rely on myself and look inside to find my self-esteem and then bring that to people. So that I think is something that's really important to know about me is that I've worked with people for basically ever. I started doing massage therapy on my family's feet when I was about nine years old. I uh, didn't know that it was a thing. It wasn't a thing back then. And um, by the time I was 18, I was working in healthcare. Um, I've worked in nursing homes. I've worked in home care. I've worked in hospitals. I've worked uh, in a newborn nursery with 40 screaming newborns, uh, giving babies their first bath, teaching their mothers uh, how to breastfeed, um, and learning a lot about uh, human bodies and birth. And I've worked with everyone through hospice. Uh, so I've been there with many people in their final days of life and it's mm -hmm. quite an honor to uh, be able to be there. They now talk about uh, folks who help people who are getting ready to to pass as they talk about them as midwives and I feel like I had a chance to do that not just with uh, elderly but for five years I worked with children with cancer and their families oh, wow. and um, that changed my life. People would say to me, Judy, how can you do that? How can you work with dying children? And in my early 20s, I would just say, I don't know, I just can. <laughs> I was a, a very um, optimistic, uh, very sort of vibrant person, and um, I was able to do it. A few years later, after I had moved to Tucson, 
after I graduated from University of Iowa, um, my now husband and I went with a group to sing Christmas carols at uh, University of Arizona Hospitals uh, at Christmas time, and I was pregnant with my firstborn. And when we went into the pediatrics unit, where I used to spend every day, every working day, um, I went to open my mouth to sing a Christmas carol, and nothing came out because I was going to cry. So I just mouthed, mouthed the words, mouthed the words, okay, <laughs> and realized that, um, you know, there are times, there are seasons in our lives when we can do things. And I was able to be there for those families and be that bright spot and handle all of the details head to toe uh, and emotionally uh, at that time. But times change, and I could not do that again at this point in time, and I have great respect for everyone who works uh, with, uh, with people with cancer and their families. Um, I then, in Tucson, became a massage therapist. I attended one of the top massage therapy programs in the country, uh, the Desert Institute of the Healing Arts and uh, became a massage therapist. And I was really amazed that there was not more uh, access to massage therapy in healthcare because I came from a healthcare background, but I'd mm -hmm. always been doing massage. And I realized that a lot of folks who were going to massage school wanted to help people and they wanted to you know, put their hands on bodies with an intention to heal. But with my background in healthcare, I came at it from a perspective that said we need to make sure that we're covering all, all of the areas that we need to cover. We need to make sure that we know what we're doing when we're putting our hands on people's bodies. And so I have been a massage therapist for many years and an educator of massage therapists. And I also got involved in um, the uh, effort to create the Arizona State Board of Massage Therapy. Um, we worked for seven years to um, bring about uh, the creation of this state board and it was a very challenging process but now in Arizona if you go to see a massage therapist they have a license and if there's a problem they can be held accountable. Uh, it also protects massage therapists because people know when they come to see a licensed massage therapist that we are providing massage therapy and not something else that massage had been associated with for so many years. So that really uh, was a great passion of mine uh, to make sure that people had access to this wonderful healing modality, which helps you right from the start. So you can, you can, there's a lot of research showing that massage is very beneficial for infants. It's very beneficial for people with all sorts of different health conditions. The research is now showing what we have always known. And I had this commitment that this vision that we would have access in community health clinics from throughout our state and actually throughout the country, but certainly in Arizona, that people would have access to massage therapy there. And I, I still would like to see that happen. So, um, and living in Prescott, uh, raising my children here um, was amazing. We live in the most beautiful place. We have gorgeous clean air and vistas that are unsurpassed. And uh, I just want to make sure that we are able to maintain that quality here. That is an incredible resume <laughs> and so many different experiences that I think a lot of people would really appreciate. Uh, so if you have any questions for uh, Judy, please let me know. Write them in the comments and we'll ask them over here. So Judy, what makes you want to run for office? You said you'd like to maintain some of the quality of life that we have. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, 
I started getting involved in politics when I was a preteen, handing out buttons and stickers uh, back in the day. And my grandfather, uh, who was a captain in the United States Navy, also ran for United States Senate as a Republican from Illinois. So I come from a political family, a political background, and um, I believe that being of service to one's community is a high calling. And I would like to be able to offer my abilities to our district. Um, I have leadership abilities. I, I've learned, I learned this a long time ago. Uh, but also I became, after we went through this process of creating the Arizona State Board of Massage Therapy, I was appointed by Governor Napolitano to the board and, and then I was board chair. So I was a leader there and also in my professional association, which now has 93,000 members across the country, the American Massage Therapy Association, I became a national president. I was elected national president. So I worked on a lot of committees. I work well with groups. Uh, we need to work as teams with a common vision. Um, but I also am willing to be the one, as Harry Truman said, where the buck stops here. Um, that's not an easy thing to do uh, for a lot of folks, but um, it's, it's in my heart uh, to, to be an honest person, to be a person with uh, integrity. Um, I believe that truth matters. I believe that words matter and that it's important for us to find where we can meet, where we can connect. Like I think about those, is it the Venn diagram from, from school where you've got the two circles and, and where do they meet? Because um, for many years living in this town, I've worked with all kinds of people, um, had thousands and thousands of clients. Um, it didn't matter what your political stripe was. It was all about health, well-being, our community, building things up, making things better. And um, I've been very concerned in recent years about the divisions that I've seen going on. And um, I've seen those divisions uh, in our community. And I've seen those divisions among some of our elected leaders. And um, while, while no one is a perfect person and no candidate is going to you know, make everyone happy in office, I realized that I had skills and abilities that I could bring. And a point in time came when some wonderful folks from Prescott asked me, have you thought about running for office? And I had thought about running for office, but I hadn't mentioned it because I was busy with family and my business. And when they asked most recently, I said yes. And they said, oh, well, would you be interested in running for office? And I said yes. So sometimes when you ask, people say yes. And, um, and I said yes, and now I've been in that process for a little over a year now. I went through a training program called Emerge Arizona. And Emerge is a training program for Democratic women uh, to learn to run for office. Um, I took that program this year, starting in January, uh, and met with uh, 30 different Democratic women from around the state of Arizona. I will say that in my particular class, I was the only woman from Northern Arizona in the class. They've had women before, but that was a little surprising to me. And so I feel that it's important for me to come back and share with my community what I learned. And what I learned in Emerge Arizona, besides the nuts and bolts of, of, of running a, a campaign, of fundraising, of, of public speaking, of self-care, um, I learned that the women who were in my class, uh, many of them were, they looked different from me. I mean, I'm an older white woman. 
And most of those women were younger than me, uh, darker than me, uh, Native American women, uh, black women, Latinx women. Um, one of my classmates, Suzanne Hug, is uh, Asian American. And they were amazing and um, accomplished women. Some women were gay. Um, so there was this great diversity of women there, but every single one of them was a passionate woman committed to the well-being of our state and making sure that we lead uh, with heart and with a commitment to improving the quality of life for everyone in our state. And so I was very inspired by these women. I learned a lot from them. Well, that sounds like a wonderful experience. Yeah. So my question for you, since you brought up uh, divisiveness in yes. politics, how do we reach across the aisle when compromise is such a dirty word in today's politics? What, what is a good way that we can reach across the aisle and work with each other down at the State House? I think that uh, the first thing that needs to happen is that we have to have a commitment to civil conversation. So it's a matter of being willing to uh, start at the surface of things, meet people where they are, you know, like, how do you do, Joe? It's a pleasure to meet you. Pleasure as well. Uh, I say this to my massage therapy students when I'm training them. Um, you know, they want to learn to do deep tissue and work on these Olympic athletes, which I've had the privilege to do as well. And I said, you guys, you know, it's just like anything else. You want to start at the surface of things. You're going to put your hand on gently, and then you begin to lean in, and you pay attention with your hands. You listen with your hands, just like we have to listen to people to see where the communication or the pushback is coming from. So for me, I'm an intelligent girl and obviously I can speak, but I do a lot of things by feel. And um, the truth of the matter is, if we start by meeting people where they are and have a commitment to being authentic uh, and a commitment to kindness and civil decency, then that's a great place to start. Um, as I said, I come from, you know, the background of my family is essentially Republican, and I have a lot of respect for uh, the Republican uh, point of view that I grew up learning and uh, that my grandfather and my parents taught me. Uh, my father was a veteran. My, both of my grandparents were veterans. I honor the need for us to uh, have uh, financial accountability to, uh, to, to empower people to to be creative and run their businesses and make their businesses work. But I'm also a person who really cares about human decency. And I want to be a voice, a strong voice, for those who don't feel that they have a voice. Um, there are many people who are suffering uh, in, our, in, our, in our district and in our state. Um, and I don't want to ignore their needs and I do believe that there is a place in government for making sure that we come together and connect on issues that go beyond those of whether it's associated with your particular community, your particular job, your particular ethnicity, your particular religion. There is a place uh, for government in convening people, bringing us together and making sure that we address the problems that need to be addressed outside of all of our differences. So um, I'm willing to be civil and kind but I also am not going to back off on my personal values. Um, I believe that my values are values that are shared by uh, pretty much every decent American. And it's just a matter of communicating to find where we come together, where we agree. And when we find that we don't agree on something, that we then look to 
how we can, who we can bring into the conversation and what information we can bring into the conversation to see how we can move forward. We don't just back away and say, well, that's it. I'm going to throw up my hands and now I'm just going to get with my guys and now we're going to fight to bring you down. That does not work. Anything and everything that I do in my life and that I want and, and intend to do as a public servant when elected has to do with making sure that we are working towards making a world and a community that's going to be better for the children who we are raising. We need to leave a world that is better for them than the world that we found. And that can happen in small ways, like holding the door for someone, saying thank you, giving someone a smile, being courteous, listening, responding. Uh, but it also means fighting for what we believe in. And um, as much as I like to uh, work with people and find solutions, I also will fight for the values that I believe in, and I will be a strong voice for this district when I'm elected to the state legislature. Thank you for that. <laughs> so what I want to say really quickly is knowing that you have family that, that are Republicans, I think is such an important thing to be able to connect with people. I, I've said it a million times, but having my mom as a Democrat and my dad as a Republican is the best. I, I couldn't be more grateful for having those two perspectives. I mean, our our... Thanksgiving dinner has ranged from full-blown isolationism for the United States to socialized medicine and socialized healthcare for, and, and having those conversations I think are so important today. Absolutely. And it's the only way I think we can get over this divide that, that we have with, with Democrats and Republicans in every level of government, really. You know, I think we need to not be afraid. We need to not be afraid to have those conversations. When I was coming up, my mother made sure that we had dinner at the dinner table every single night. We would start dinner with a prayer. We would end dinner with a prayer. And in between, all bets were off. You know, somebody would cry. There were arguments. There were discussions. <laughs> My parents raised us to be very independent-minded, but we had discussions every single night at the dinner table. My concern is that, that is not, that's not the world that a lot of folks are, are growing up in. Um, one of my friends from the Emerge program, Debbie Nez Manuel, who's now running for State House uh, down in uh, near the Salt Lake, uh, sorry, not the Salt Lake, the Salt River Indian Reservation, she shared with us stories about her growing up on the Navajo Reservation. Mm -hmm. And the challenges that she faced are nothing that I've ever experienced. When she shared with me and with us that it, she was three years old uh, walking to her grandmother's uh, a trailer and she would have to stop and sit down and, and pull little pieces of glass out of her feet. It wasn't until years later when she was working as a social worker that she realized that as that tiny child she didn't have a pair of shoes. She had no shoes. So this is something I've never been able to relate to. Um, I'm, uh, I'm an incredibly uh, blessed, privileged, white woman in America, and I feel that it is my responsibility to make sure that I take those gifts that I've been given and bring them back to the community in a way that helps people to see what it's like for people who are not like me and are not like us. And that means communicating. It means communicating with everyone and being willing for people to be upset, being willing to listen when people have to say things that are tough, being willing to listen when people have things to say that I disagree with. With a, com with a commitment to finding a common solution so that we can move forward and make a difference and make things happen, find solutions. So um, that's what I did when we worked on the Arizona State 
uh, Board of Massage Therapy creation. It was a seven year long process. We started with an idea. I didn't even know what a lobbyist was when we started this and we did surveys, we wrote, uh, we wrote grants. Uh, I had to interview lobbyists uh, to, to hire one to help us with that process. I was the face of massage therapy to the legislature. I testified uh, in front of multiple House and uh, Senate committees and combined committees and um, eventually became the, the state uh, board chair. So I have a lot of experience at the legislature and I know how things seem to work but I know that things can work very, very well. For instance, when I was working on that process, one person who I interacted with was House Representative Gabby Giffords. Uh, she, was, uh, she was a state senator at the time that we were working on this. And when I think of Gabby Giffords, my experience, my personal experience of Gabby Giffords is a woman with a can-do attitude where whenever I had an interaction with her, I always left feeling uplifted and optimistic. And that is how I want to leave people feeling. I don't want anyone to leave their interaction with me feeling that they've been put down, feeling that they've been ignored, feeling that they've been criticized or, um, I don't know what the word is, it's not condemned, but that, that someone's been contemptuous. And I've personally had that experience when contacting some of my representatives. Maybe it's because they didn't like what I was asking, but the fact of the matter is, um, Human beings and people in this district can count on when I'm representing them and when I'm listening to you that I will treat you with dignity and respect. I have our first policy questions that are just coming in from Great. Nikki and Linda. Both want to know about education for Arizona. Uh, Nikki asks, what will you do to address the crisis in Arizona's classrooms, including the teacher shortage, increased uh, counselors and social workers on our campuses, and a sustainable funding source for our schools? Well, thank you very much for the question, Nikki and Linda. Um, I'm committed to a permanent funding source for public education. We don't have that currently. So currently, we get some money from the federal government, we get some money from the legislature, from the Arizona State Legislature, and some money for school funding, public school funding, comes from property taxes in the different unified school districts. Uh, this does not allow for the districts to make uh, forward-looking decisions about how we're going, how we're going to staff, how we're going to pay our teachers. We need a permanent funding source, and that's something that the Arizona legislature needs to take on in a serious way. Um, as far as the needs at schools, I mean, if if we look at the statistics, Arizona is currently 49th. Uh, in, uh, in spending uh, for our students. I'm not sure if I'm getting that statistic exactly correct. I know that we're like, you know, way down at the bottom in terms of what we pay our teachers. We're way down in what the amount of money that we spend on our students. And, and this is unacceptable. We are the, uh, the 20th largest state and we are one of the fastest growing states. If we want to continue to be a state where people want to move and want to thrive, we need to make sure that we have fully funded public education. I have a master's degree in counseling psychology. Now I was looking at the role of touch therapies in enhancing psychotherapeutic outcomes. The mind-body connection is really my focus in my background. 
But the idea that there is one school counselor per 900 students in Arizona school districts is outrageous and unacceptable. We have to make sure that our teachers are funded so that they have a salary that allows them to have a lifestyle that, where they can raise their families and send their children to school districts here. We need to make sure that we have counselors uh, and that they are paid. We need to make sure that we've got funding for capital improvements and for uh, auxiliary staff. But it's also important that we have accountability. How exactly are those funds being spent? Is it, uh, is it, is the best way to measure our success through seeing how many students are passing the AIMS tests? Or are there different ways that we need to look and see where we're successful and where we're not? So when I get to the legislature, I'm going to be a strong voice for uh, doing the hard work of looking and seeing where can we come up with the funding to make sure that our schools are fully funded and at the same time make sure that we hold our school districts accountable for, re for success and that we give them the tools they need to succeed. So a question that I have from that, and yes. I think maybe other people have as well, yeah. is what does that... that funding source look like? Does that, does that, is that an increase in taxes? Is that an increase in sales tax? Is that an increase in property tax? What, what I think we all agree that our per pupil spending, it's, there, it's a fact that it's, we're one of the lowest states in the country. Mm -hmm. And we would need to raise that up in order to increase any sort of benefit for mm -hmm. the public schools. What mm -hmm. is that source mm -hmm. of, of funding? Well, um, you know, Right now in Arizona, uh, we need to take a hard look at what we're doing uh, in terms of our uh, giving public funds to charters and public funds that are going to private schools. Uh, there's a lot of concern uh, about how, how this is working. Uh, it seems to be that uh, in terms of uh, the charters that there, you know, there's all kinds of things that are legal right now in Arizona because we were the first state to put charter schools in place that schools that are like not having to reinvent the wheel are looking at as like the 15th or 20th state to put in uh, charter school uh, possibilities and accountabilities. And they said, oh, well, we don't want to make the same mistakes that Arizona made. We really do not have accountability from uh, the charters after the public money goes to them, uh, not in very many ways. And that needs to be looked at because this is taxpayer money that's going to these schools and we need to know how that money is being spent. As to the larger question, when you look at the budget in Arizona, we are spending less than 50% of our money on education and we need to switch that around. It needs to be a little bit more than 50% of our budget. So there's about a few percentage points there uh, which add up to you know a good billion dollars or so, maybe three. Uh, that we need to look at and see how can we rearrange, uh, reprioritize our budget. Um, are we spending our money in ways that is ethical, that is best for our state? And again, where I'm coming from is we need to make sure that we are running a, a state government that looks to the future of our children first. So we're going to have to look and see, you know, where, where are we uh, providing funds uh, that are not really coming back. You know, if children are our ultimate investment, and I believe they are, then we need to make sure that that investment is looked at along with the needs for tax cuts and uh, tax breaks and, and like that. So um, it's not an easy question, but it's something that the legislature can address and we can look and see 
Are we spending our money ethically? Are things that are being done at the legislature right now uh, best for the people of Arizona? And I, I'm going to tell you right here and right now that there are a lot of things that are going on that I, I would change. Nikki, Linda, thank you so much for your questions. I have another question, and Joanne, uh, correct me if, if I'm wrong. Joanne asks, what about some oversight on tax credits? I'm thinking this is referring to the tax credits that you can give to school programs up to, it, it might be 800-something for couples that are married. Um, is there more oversight that's required? Is there? I think we need to look at it. I definitely think we need to look at it. Um, my understanding is, and I've got more to learn, folks, so, so don't take everything I say as gospel. I, I have a lot of good people who can inform me, and I will get up to speed as time goes by. But if the tax credits are going specifically to private schools, then that's taxpayer money that's going directly into a private school program that may not have the requirements to pass the Ames test. We don't know how these children are, are being educated. And I do believe that the, if taxpayer money is being spent, uh, that taxpayers have a right to know uh, what is, how it's being spent. And I definitely think the tax credits need to be looked at. I mean, it was great when my kids were in school and I could you know, put money towards the, the wrestling program or something like that. Uh, and, I, and I love that. But taxpayer funds need to have accountability and oversight. It needs to be transparent. We need to be able to see where this money is being spent. I definitely think that tax credits need to be reviewed. Great. So uh, since we started talking about policy, mm -hmm. if you are elected, what are some of your, your top legislative goals for this coming term? First of all, um, the, the election will be November 3rd, 2020, and I intend to be elected. And since things are changing so quickly around the world and our country, I'm going to be keeping my, my, my ear to the ground and my, my finger on the pulse of what's happening so that I can be nimble, so that I can be prepared for whatever we need to address. But my primary uh, commitments are going to be to permanent, uh, a permanent funding source for public education, to health care, which has been my life's work. And for me, health care ties in uh, very closely with education, and it means that we need to make sure that we're taking care of children, pregnant women, children, small children, making sure that if we take care of their preventative health care needs, if we educate them right from the start on healthy practices, if we make sure that they understand their personal value and that they are as important as the next person, whether they are wealthy or whether they are uh, a single mom of color uh, struggling to make ends meet. Everyone needs to be treated with dignity and respect, and our health care uh, uh, system should reflect that. Um, I believe that if we take care of folks from the get, that we're then not going to have expensive problems later on. So uh, healthcare and education and those two things tied together. The program uh, that Arizona voters put through in years past, First Things First, has done a tremendous job of looking at um, early childhood education and tied in with early childhood healthcare needs. If we take care of our kids right from the get. Uh, we're going to pay, it's going to pay off in dividends years later. That seems really obvious to me. I'm constantly looking at the long term and how can we in the short term move that forward without creating too much difficulty for folks who have spent their lives 
you know, saving so that they could have a lovely retirement. I get that. We need to look at Social Security and make sure that we, those benefits are not cut. So I want to make sure that our Arizona citizens who have dedicated their lives and are now living in their retirement have a chance to uh, be able to see that their, their Social Security is not going to be cut, that their health care is not going to be cut. Healthcare is a big question. We can address quite a lot of it at the state level. Some of it's happening at the national level. I absolutely believe that we need to have health care for all, that we need to have caps on prescription drug prices, that we need to uh, identify and uh, get rid of any surprise expenses that are associated with uh, going to the hospital or a major illness. I myself am a breast cancer survivor. I went through the whole gamut. And uh, I'll tell you, as a breast cancer survivor, my number one job is to make sure that I do not stress. Stress is a killer. And there's a lot of it going on from without. But if we can make some changes so that it's not happening from within, that would be best. And a huge part of going through cancer treatment or major illness is having to deal with uh, the bills and the explanations of benefits and you know, talking to insurance companies and trying to figure out, can I pay for this prescription drug or can I, you know, buy my, my child a, a winter coat? Uh, this is unacceptable. Uh, we need to get a handle on these expenses and we may need to make sure that there is health care for all. So those are two of my major concerns that I would be looking at in the legislature in the first session. And also uh, the environment. And with that, for me, I look at economic prosperity and the environment as tied together. If we want to have economic prosperity, it's not going to be happening if we pollute our beautiful air here, our, our precious air, which Prescott has been named, I'll have you know, in recent years, the best quality air of a city in the nation. We want to maintain that. That's going to bring folks here for tourism uh, in Prescott and Yavapai County in our whole district. Uh, we need to maintain quality of life in order to, uh, to have uh, a community and uh, a place where people want to come and spend their money. We need to look at development. We need to have responsible growth. Uh, people want to live here because it's a beautiful place and that's wonderful. We want to make sure that we can make this place still affordable for, for families to live in Prescott. My children grew up with a lovely quality of life, and I want to make sure that that's, that continues and that people here are able to, to raise their children here. If we don't have children in a community, to me, that's no community at all. Um, you know, when I was growing up, and I think for most of us, you would look in a community and you would say, oh, well, they're in the Taylor Hicks neighborhood. They are in the Abaya Judd neighborhood. They're in the Lincoln School neighborhood. We identified neighborhoods by schools. Now, what I see happening is we are identifying neighborhoods by, oh, well, it's this subdivision, or it's that subdivision. Um, I appreciate that folks want to uh, live the lifestyle that they want, but if you're going to live in a community, please be a part of that community and respect the fact that we need to provide for our children and we need to have a, unif a, a place where we can be unified. And I see that as happening uh, through government, actually. It's a place where I, as an individual, no matter what my uh, religious background, no matter what my beliefs, I can come forward and have an opportunity to influence what's going on for all of us. So that is, those are things that are important to me. Uh, what I would be looking for in terms of uh, economic development is making sure that whatever we do, we don't bring in businesses that are going to be huge 
water users. We have serious issues with water in this district, in, in Prescott, in, in, this, in this area, in this state. And uh, it may not be pleasant to look at, but it's a reality and we must face reality. And we must look and see how can we lead. And I wanna look and see how can we lead. Prescott has done a great job of, of doing things to make sure that we've decreased our water usage. There are concerns that our neighboring communities may not be doing that. It's not something that they're necessarily doing. And so it kind of disadvantages the folks who've been doing the good work. Well, it doesn't mean that we then throw the baby out with the bathwater. We need to continue to connect with our neighbors and make sure that they understand why we need to do this for the short term, but absolutely for the long term. And that's going to take having those difficult conversations. We're going to have to sit down at the table and be willing to speak. And when there is a reaction that is uncomfortable, we need to then step back. I have a lot of experience in communicating. I've put my hands on thousands and thousands of bodies and you don't get to do that to help them heal unless you know how to connect with people. So I have that ability. I have a strong voice and I will represent all of Legislative District 1. My hashtag, my slogan is stall for all. I am the common ground candidate. I wanna make sure that that Venn diagram, when you look at that Venn diagram of red and blue and you see that purple, that you find Judy Stahl is here. I'm in that part. So absolutely, uh, to be able to uh, bring people together and communicate with them about things that are important to all of us in order to have a sustainable life. Is, is what I am really committed to doing. And so education, healthcare, and economic prosperity based on uh, a commitment to caring for the environment first and then bringing people into this beautiful place, this beautiful district uh, to, to spend their money and, and leave feeling refreshed and empowered and going back to their communities and saying, wow, They've got something really great going on in Prescott, Arizona, and Yavapai County, and northern Maricopa County, including Anthem and Cave Creek and Carefree, who are all in my district. I'm committed to all of that. And I see no reason why we cannot accomplish that. Yeah, that's very important. And one of the things that I want to touch on really quickly is uh, healthcare, because it is such an essential part of, I think, Arizona life. And especially as Prescott ages here, healthcare is so crucial. There's, um, I think, missing access to a primary care physician. We don't have specialists. A lot of people have to go down to Phoenix if they need Absolutely. any sort of specialty medicine. Mm -hmm. What are some things that you could do at the state house that can help people in this district? Well, Joe, that brings me back to the importance of education. If we have stellar schools, high quality education here, uh, then we will be able to attract fabulous business, uh, thriving, growing business of young people, millennials and even younger, who are wanting to raise a family. Um, we need to uh, be able to attract excellent doctors. I've, I've been working in this town as a massage therapist since 1992. People come to me, they trust me, and they say, do you know any doctors that are accepting new patients? As the years have gone by, more and more folks came in and said, I can't find a primary care physician. Well, that's because doctors are not going to live someplace where they can't count on quality education for their families. They didn't become doctors by not having quality education. So quality education is a place to start in order to make sure that we have, uh, can, can draw in uh, quality healthcare providers. 
We have a VA here, and my understanding is that the VA here is doing a pretty good job. There may be different views on that, but uh, we absolutely want to take care of our vets. We want to address the problem of homeless vets uh, around, around Prescott and this area, and we want to make sure that those who have given, were willing to lay down their lives for us, that they don't have to worry about when that when they come home. That means making sure that we've got an integrated system of healthcare where we're not just all in our silos. When I was going through treatment for cancer, I had to go to Phoenix, I had to go to Sedona, I had to go to Prescott Valley, I had to go different places to get the care that I needed. That creates stress. Now, there are some specialties that you may not be able to support in a, in a town of our size or in this district. Um, but for, for the majority, we ought to be able to provide services, healthcare services that are, that are coordinated and that meet the needs of this community. Sure, sure. Um, one of the things I want to switch to now, um, the city of Prescott recently, just in the past two years, passed 443, Proposition 443. And what it did was to pay our unfunded liability for the public safety personnel retirement system. Mm -hmm. And at the time when we did that, we knew that the real solution to the problem that the system was facing was needed to come from the state house. Do you, is there a solution for the public safety personal retirement system's solvency at the state house? To be perfectly honest with you, I do not have that solution. I'll just tell you, I don't have that solution right now. Uh, I appreciate that the city of Prescott uh, voters put through Prop 443 so that a 0.75% sales tax could help to pay for what is essentially an unfunded mandate. Uh, we absolutely want to make sure that we provide uh, good quality benefits and retirement for our firemen and our police. These are people who are willing to lay down their lives for us. We cannot do this without them. Um, my understanding is that there have been some problems at the PSPRS at the state level and some changes have been made at the top. Um, again, for me, it comes back to a, a matter of leadership. And uh, that leadership means that we've got to bring everyone together. Um, you know, when I looked at the board of trustees for the PSPRS, I will just tell you, um, I didn't see one single woman on that board. Um, I, I'm sure that there are women firefighters and women law enforcement uh, officers. I think we need to look at, at, at the very top. Uh, we need to scrutinize and see what is happening and are these folks there really representing the entirety of the folks who are depending on them for their pensions. So it sounds like even though we put through Prop 443 that it may not end up being something that ends up covering our needs, which is we were planning to complete that commitment by December of 2025. I don't have the answers on that, but I am willing to, as a legislator, look at it very closely. And uh, it's, a, it's a complicated and challenging issue. And I will bring these difficult questions because we do need to have uh, fair representation you know, at the, at the level of that board, at the level at the top. Things change from the top. The fish stinks from the head. And so that's why I want to go to the legislature and smell sweet for all of you. <laughs> <laughs> Some of the solutions that I have heard, and I just want to get your input on it, yeah. uh, are to let the fund be managed by the state treasurer's office. Do you think that that's a reasonable idea? Should we, should we put a fund like that 
in the hands of a politician? What, what, what are your thoughts? You know, I, I'm, I'm honestly not sure about that. Um, you know, I, I definitely have some things to learn. Um, I like the idea of having accountability, someone who could be elected or not. Arizona is becoming a purple state. Uh, you know, I'm a Democrat. I respect the Republicans who I've known, the historic Republicans who I've known. I value their values. But we need to make sure that there's not corruption going on uh, at the top. Uh, I'm committed to really being transparent. So if it takes the state treasurer, someone who's elected, uh, to, to be the person who is overseeing this, someone who can be taken out of office if they don't get the job done, then that may be a possibility. It just simply needs to be that no matter what we put throw, through, that there's some teeth behind it. It can't be that we pass a law and then there are loopholes that come in that allow people to get out of it. And it's like everybody's pointing in the different direction of who's accountable. Someone has got to be accountable. This has to be transparent. People have to take responsibility for their part and they have to be adults about it. We need to make sure that we fund the retirement for our, for our public safety personnel. And that means that it can't be the good old boy network. It's got to be everyone working together, making the hard decisions. Uh, so I'm not sure. It might be best to put it through the treasurer, the state treasurer, an elected office. Um, I'm not really sure. I'm going to have to keep looking. Sure, sure. And I think that there's, it's going to take a lot more to find a solution, I think, than, than just give it to somebody else to worry about. <laughs> well, people have to have the hard conversations and then not walk away. It's, it's, it's behaving like adults. That needs to happen. And people need to become mindful of whether what they're saying is turning someone off, whether what they're saying might have been appropriate 10, 20 years ago, but is not appropriate today. I'm really, I'm really serious about this. Mm -hmm. People need to be mindful of their own behavior and, and see where am I behaving based on thoughts that you know, were okay 20 years ago, but that maybe aren't now. Maybe I need to be a little bit more open about this. Maybe I need to be willing to look and see what are the possibilities for, for solutions and to realize that there's gonna be compromise. And what does compromise mean? It means that nobody ends up happy. And guess what? Life is not always full of happiness and comfort. It's not always unicorns and rainbows. There are times when we just have to live with the discomfort and know that we've done the best we can to move forward. Sure. So I don't see any more questions from the chat. If you have a question for Judy, please send it our way. Um, we'll probably start wrapping up here. Judy, is there any other thing that you wanted to talk about policy-wise or for the state that, that you've been thinking about? Thank you. Mm -hmm. It matters to me that we treat each other with dignity and respect. It matters to me that when I walk down the streets of Prescott, I feel like I'm comfortable to uh, bring whatever friends I want with me. Uh, my, my friends from the Emerge program who are of different colors and uh, different ethnicities and different backgrounds. Prescott is not the most diverse community. Uh, we need to be honest about this. And it's a place where we wanna be everyone's hometown. We need to be welcoming people. We need to make sure that we have a commitment to finding out what the facts are. So much of what's going on in our government these days seems to be based on framing and narratives and stories that people weave. 
And while stories are wonderful, and I've got plenty of them that I'd love to share with you and that I will certainly utilize when I get elected to make my point, and I will bring your stories with me to the legislature. But we wanna make sure that what we're communicating is the truth. We wanna make sure that we're really opening our minds and looking to see, is it possible that I could not be right about this particular issue, that there's another way to look at this? Um, I'm willing to have those hard conversations uh, with whoever's willing to have them because to me that's the only way that we're going to move forward. I've been working on bodies my entire life. You can't cut off your nose to spite your face and I really need to see that from our elected uh, officials. I don't see it from all of our elected officials and I'm willing to, to be the one who makes those hard decisions. I'm willing to be that person who will listen to the hard conversations and look to see how I can honor your comments, honor your needs, and make sure that we're looking at the needs of everyone. So in closing, it's my intention to be the common ground candidate. In order to win this election, I'm gonna need a lot of you to vote for me. It can't just be Democrats who vote for me. I'm willing to go and speak to anyone and listen to what you have to say. So I hope that you will invite me into your homes, into your communities, into your businesses, into your meetings, into your churches. And if you'd like to learn more about me and if you'd like to know how to reach me, you can find out a little bit more about me right now at my website, judystahl.com. That's J-U-D-Y-S-T-A-H-L.com. Our campaign phone number is 928-362-882, and we are developing and will soon be putting out a Facebook page, a political Facebook page. I want access to all of you. I want to hear what you've got to say so that we can start bringing this community together. I need to feel like my voice matters, and that is something that at times I have not felt that it did amongst some of our legislators. And that is unacceptable to me. It should be unacceptable to every Arizonan and every American. Uh, so that said, um, I am Judy Stahl. Uh, my hashtag is Stahl for all. On I am the common ground candidate. I am a strong voice. And regardless of your political affiliation, I will represent your views when you come to me uh, and when I'm elected to the Arizona State Legislature. So just really quickly, one more time, uh, Judy's campaign phone number is 928 362-8882. Judy, thank you so much for joining us tonight and her, this afternoon and for having your coffee with us. Um, I just want to say that it was a pleasure having you and I hope you'll join us again a little bit further into the campaign as it progresses. Thank you, Joe. I would love to. Thank you guys so much for having your coffee with us. Have a great day.